And David and Heather and their boys are relatively new to the church. We were talking about this this morning that, uh, uh, yeah, uh, he said the distracting people up front, they had already muted his mic so you didn't hear that. They're not distracting at all. Uh, wonderful family that have added so much to our church, uh, and including his talents that we saw this morning as he used those to lead us in worship. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for David and, and each and every week, the people who lead us in worship and the way that they're using their gifts to lead us to the throne. And, uh, and, and man, what, a, what a wonderful blessing it is as a church to have so many wonderfully talented people who can be a part of that. So I'm going to take a moment now as we get started to dismiss our children and our leaders upstairs for kids crew. This is going to be for kids who are fourth grade and under. They're going to go upstairs to our kids crew room. So if you're new this morning and you're wondering what's happening right now, we have a time. Uh, the first three Sundays of any given month, we we get to this point in worship and we release our children who choose to go. They don't have to by any means, but those that choose to go head upstairs with our, our team of leaders that you see. And we have a time of worship. You know, in a lot of churches, this is sometimes referred to as children's church. And we don't call it that because what we do in here, this is children's church too. They belong here as much as they belong up there. But it is a time that is geared specifically for them developmentally and otherwise on their level. And so we call it Kids Crew. And after our worship service is finished today, you'll be able to find them just beyond the exit on this east side of the sanctuary. You see where they're headed up the stairs and just on the other side of that. There is our kids' crew room where they will be after the service is finished today for you to retrieve them. Romans chapter 5, I've already mentioned, we're studying through the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 looking at the first 11 verses this morning together in our time. So there's, there's a, a phrase that we use. We talk about something being a page turner. And when we talk about a, a book that is a page turner, of course what we mean by that is this, is this is something that I was really into. I really enjoyed this, and so I found myself wanting to keep reading, wanting to get to the next page. We don't read as much, I think, as a, just as, as people nowadays. We don't read at least not books as much, actual printed books the way that perhaps uh, folks once did. And so, you know, it's not just books that we do this with. I know a lot of people nowadays, you don't like to watch TV in, until an entire season of something is released. And the reason is because when you get to the, one, the end of one episode, they always, they, they add that moment or that thing or that cliffhanger that is in, intended to bring you back for the next episode, right? I mean, it's very soap opera-esque the way that TV shows work nowadays. And it's always meant to grab your attention, pull you in, and then keep you coming back. So we like to binge watch, right? And the reason we like to do that is because we want to be able to get through the whole story. But then even when you binge watch, if you watch through an entire season of something and you get to the end of that season and now you've got to wait for the next season to come out and you think, why can't I just have everything now? Well, we, we get to a word in the text this morning. In fact, the very first word in this passage that we're going to study is the word therefore. And that word is a transitional word. It's, it's used to demonstrate that we're turning a quarter. We're turning a page. We're moving on to a different subject. So through Romans chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, we have been looking intently at the, the gospel, of course. Romans chapter 1 introduced us to the idea of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 introduced us to the power of the gospel, that it, it, it has the power to transform us. But then we spent several chapters dealing with the, the reality of our, of our brokenness, 
the reality of our sin and our fall, our rebellion against God. And in chapter 4, and really at the end of chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 20, there was the word therefore. And we turned a corner and we spent time in chapter 4 looking at salvation and how we have salvation in Christ and how he gave himself for us and how this was ultimately the fulfillment of God's promise. We saw that. That was our study last week in Romans chapter 4, that what God did was he fulfilled the promise that he made many, many generations ago to Abraham, and then he fulfilled that promise through Jesus, through the work of Christ, and that promise extends to us so that we become heirs by faith. And now we begin to transition again into chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, the, the, new, uh, the new direction, if you will, the new theme, the new focus for the next several chapters, Romans 5, 6, and 7, and 8, are really going to be how we live in light of this salvation. Now we begin to focus on how we can overcome. And in, it, it begins with Romans chapter 5 sort of setting the stage for this crescendo in Romans chapter 8. So in Romans chapter 5, in these verses that we're going to study this morning, Paul's going to talk about how we live in light of hardship and suffering, how we are to live in the midst of the difficulties that we face. And he's going to tell us that we do that through the power of Jesus, Jesus in us, the work of the gospel, transforming us, making us new. And it reaches its crescendo, its, its great climax in Romans chapter 8, where we read in those, in, at the end of Romans chapter 8, we read, now if God is for us, who can be against us? What can the world throw at us? What can the world do? So if you know a little bit of Romans, if you know a bit of the book or you've read through it before, or maybe you even just are familiar with some of those verses in Romans chapter 8, then you, you can see the writing on the wall where this is pointing. But I, it's so important that we, that we really take time to examine all the pieces along the way, examine the, the, the arguments, if you want to consider them that, the, 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 the truths that Paul is teaching. And keep in mind the background that we saw at the very beginning, that he's writing this to a church that has been through some persecutions, that has been through some hardship and some suffering, but there's more coming. And they know that. And they accept the fact that if this is God's will for us, if this is, if this is God's call for us to be a people who learn how to suffer well and learn how to live in light of these things, then let's do that in a way that would honor the Lord. So that's where we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 today. This page turner, if you will, this cliffhanger. Now, as we really get into some, some great things here, how we live in light of our faith. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, those words, by faith, you remember last week, we, we, we saw that again and again, that was key, that we live by faith. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, you can see the direction that Paul is going. And then there's this moment. And it's like he's just slammed on the brakes. You ever do that? You're driving and, and you're not paying attention. And, and you, have to, you have to hit the brakes really quickly. And, and it jolts you forward in the car. And everybody else has shifted forward. That's what he's done here. He's now we have by faith we live in Jesus. By faith we we can we can walk with him. By faith we've obtained access into his grace and we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory when we rejoice in our sufferings. It's like he's slammed on the brakes and saying, but let's bring it back to where we really live. Let's take this understanding of God's truth. Let's take this understanding of salvation. Let's take this understanding of faith. But let's bring it back to where we really live because we're real people who have real problems, who live in a real world that gets really messy. 
And we can live even in that through the power of the gospel by faith. We keep reading, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. What a powerful word this is, that we would rejoice in our sufferings, that we would rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, because it's through him that we receive reconciliation. So we want to rejoice. We want to live in light of our faith. We want it to be something that really does transform and change the way that we live every day. Not just on Sundays when we come to church, but every day of our lives. We want to live in light of this hope that we have. Now, on the back side of your worship guide, there's blanks that you can follow along. And you maybe, if you've, if you've already looked ahead, you probably have figured out that our, our sermon points this morning come directly from the text itself. In fact, th- this, this message in, in so many ways is really structured for us. All I really have to do is open the word and read the word and point us to say, this, this is it, here it is. Let's live according to what Paul has said here because he's laid it out in a way that's very similar to how I might structure a sermon or a message in, in the way that he's putting this truth before the Romans church, because that's what he's doing, right? In the same way that when I preach to you, what I'm trying to do is take the word of God, take the truth of God and put it before you in a way that you can remember it, a way that you can understand it, a way that you can hold on to it so that you might obey it, that we might do what it says. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He's writing this so that his audience would hear this truth, they would understand it, and importantly, that they would do it, that they would practice this. So he's laid it out much the way that I would lay out a sermon. And so the first thing that I want us to see as, we, as we're piecing through what he's written here, studying through, combing through this, is he tells us that we rejoice in our sufferings, verse 3, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So the first thing that I want us to consider and, and think about is the fact that suffering serves a purpose in our lives, that, that even our sufferings can serve a purpose What we want is we want a life that's free from suffering. We want a life that's free from hardship and trial and difficulty and pain. At least I do. Maybe you're, maybe you're unlike me. Maybe you're so much more uh, holy and sanctified that you've got it figured out and, and, and you say, Lord, I'll, I'll deal with whatever. But I, if I'm being honest with you, I wish life were easier than what it is. And yet the consistent, the consistent truth that we see in the word of God And what I understand to be true, even just from my own experience, is that life is hard. The reality is, life is hard. We face face difficulties. We go through hardships. We endure sufferings. There are are any number of of difficult things that that we live with and that we work through. In fact, in so many ways, our lives are marked by 
the difficult moments that we face and the difficulties that we go through. And, and, and we get through one difficulty and one hardship, and then, we, and, and then it's like something else comes. And it's, and it's sort of like the ebbs and flows. Now, you may be more of a glasses half full kind of person, and you're saying, well, no, I choose to see it as life is just from one, from one, uh, one victory to the next. And, and that's good. If that's really where you live, and, and that's really how you see the world, then I don't want to steal your thunder. But I would say that even in between your victories, there are those, there are those moments, right? Even between the peaks, there are the valleys. But for many people, I understand that life feels more like moving from one trial into the next trial, one obstacle that you're working to overcome only to get beyond that and then realize there's another thing that's coming. And there's hope for us in the midst of that this morning. That's what I want you to see. There's hope in the midst of that because God will work even through our sufferings. He's working in your life, even in your suffering. And so the way that Paul states this is he says, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And I think that word knowing is really important because he doesn't just say believing, although believing is important. He doesn't just say wishing that suffering produces endurance. He says knowing that suffering produces endurance. See, we can we can count on this truth. We can, we can anchor our lives to this truth that God will work through our sufferings and our difficulties. Now, I mentioned that in Romans chapter 5, particularly in these first verses, he's setting the stage for what's to come. So many of you know Romans 8.28, and you could quote Romans 8.28 to me. Romans 8.28, he's going to tell us that God works all things together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But in order for us to get to that point where we understand Romans 8.28, we have to begin with Romans 5.3 that tells us that we may know that God will use our sufferings to produce endurance. How is it that we can trust that God is working to bring all things together for good? It's because we live by faith, Romans 5, 1 and 2, and by faith in this truth, by faith in these realities that we've been studying, by faith in our hope of the gospel, we know that suffering produces endurance. I wonder what you think of when you hear the word endurance. Maybe you think of, maybe you think of like a, a physical activity, like you're working to build up your endurance. So I, I'm a runner. I, I run, and I'm not fast by any means, and, and I'm not a great runner, but, but I run. I mean, at least I'm consistent, right? I, it's, it's a part of my regular routine, my regular life, my regular habit. Uh, I, I average uh, anywhere from 15 to 20 miles a week is kind of my regular routine uh, of how many miles I run a week. And some years ago, I decided that I wanted to to become a runner, but there was one great obstacle that I had to overcome, and that was I hated running. I just didn't like it at all. I knew that it would be good exercise. I knew that it would uh, be beneficial for me in a lot of ways. And I heard for years, I'd heard people talk about, well, if you just stick with it, you'll build up the endurance, and you'll uh, and, and and it'll get better, and 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 you can do it. And and I thought, well, that may be true because, I mean, I believe the people who say that, but I've never had anything close to an experience like that. I've never had anything close to an experience where I ran and I got done and I thought, oh, that was good. I should do that again someday. Uh, I, I didn't like it at all, but I determined, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit. 
I'm going to do it. There was nothing else that I could do that, I, that would have the same physical benefit for me. And so I thought, I, I have X amount of time. Running fits in that amount of time that I have. And so that's, I'm just going to stick with it. I'm going to work through it. And I did. And slowly, little by little, my endurance began to build. Now, I want to emphasize that it was slowly. I started with one of those couch to 5K app things. Anybody else done one of those? Where, you know, and you start out and you run a little bit and you walk a little bit and it's like a run walk. In fact, the very first time I ever went for a run, I'm, this is almost, this is embarrassing, but I'll, I'll tell you anyway, so that maybe you can, you can identify with this. Uh, the very first time I, I ever went for a run, I had, I had been reading some on running and all, anyway, you know, cause that's, I'm a nerd like that. I, I, before I ever do something, I always want to research it first and figure out what I'm going to do. So I decided this is how I'm going to do it. That's, I'm, and so I, I started running and I had determined because of something I read somewhere. And when you go for your first run, just push yourself, go as far as you can go, just push yourself until you reach kind of that threshold of pain and then stop there and then celebrate it as a, as a win. Hey, I went for a run. I'm going to be committed to this and little by little, I'm going to get better. So I did, I went for a run that first day and and, uh, and when I was done, uh, I celebrated it as a win. And I really didn't understand how far I had. I knew that I started at my house and I ran down the end of the street. And, and it, I got to the point where it was hurting on my side. And okay, that's it. That's good for today. What I figured out later when I got, you know, a little bit further and got a GPS watch and some of those things, I ran three-tenths of a mile that day. <laughs> three-tenths of a mile. I ran for about three minutes solid. Now, you may think, well, I couldn't do that. That's really great. And that's good. So you can identify with where I was. Now, I'm in a lot better condition for that. Like Friday, uh, Fridays are typically my long days. Friday, I ran eight miles Friday morning. There's no way I could have run eight miles that day. I couldn't have run eight-tenths of a mile that day, right? You don't get there overnight. In fact, you get there slowly, little by little, brick by brick, uh, run by run, little victory by little victory along the way, and you get to that place where you can build that endurance. Now, I won't tell you how slow I run. Actually, I will, just so that you don't, uh, just so that, let's bring it down to earth, right? My, my average pace on a long run like that is I, I, I'm somewhere in and around 10 minutes a mile, okay? Again, for some of you, you're going to think 10 minutes a mile is fantastic, but for real runners in the room, they know that's old man slow, but that's okay. I'm old man slow, and, and my goal is keep going, right? I want to be doing it 10 years from now still if, if I'm able to, right? But the, the point is, the point is, when you think of endurance, it takes, it takes work to build endurance, doesn't it? Anything that you might do, whether it's a physical activity, anything that you might do that you develop some endurance with it, the whole idea of endurance is you're pushing through the pain. You're working through difficulty. You're not, you're, you're, you're enduring, that's even the word, right? You're enduring, you're continuing in spite of the obstacles that you face and that you're up against. And so when when he tells us that suffering produces endurance, that, that's just, that's pointedly true, is it not? That as we go through suffering, as we go through difficulty, as we go through hardship again and again, eventually our ability to endure grows. We can handle this heavy load because we understand that the Lord's with us, we understand that he will sustain us, that he will carry us, and we develop some spiritual endurance. And little by little, bit by bit, as we, as we go through hardship and difficulty, it produces endurance. It's always a process. And we struggle with that because we want 
instant results. We want everything, right? Like the page turner, like the, the season that you don't want to get to the end of the season and not be able to just start the next season right away. Like we, we don't like to wait on things. We want everything to happen now. But in God's wisdom and his design for our lives, spiritually, he's created us to work through and go through hardship and difficulty and to endure because the endurance itself is producing something as well, right? So suffering produces endurance, but what's the very next thing that he tells us? Endurance produces character. Endurance produces character. As we learn to endure, as we learn to persevere, as we, as we, we stand up under hardship and difficulty and trial, as we go through some things, it produces character in us. It refines us. It, it, has, it has the ability, this endurance, this spiritual endurance, especially that's built in us through hardship and difficulty that we go through, has the ability to refine our character. It's like, it's like a, a master sculptor who takes a, a piece of stone and he chips away at the stone to reveal his creation, right? The Lord is working in us. And oftentimes that chisel and that hammer that God is using as he's creating in us the masterpiece that Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we're to be Ephesians 2.10. That, that hammer and that chisel is the sufferings, the difficulties that we go through, that, that, that God is using those to refine us, to refine who we are, to train us so that we build endurance, and that endurance produces character. So when we endure through something, when we persevere, when we continue on and stay strong and remain steady and true through some difficulty and some hardship, it produces character in us. Now again, because we're wired as a people to want everything right away, we want the character to just be there. We want to be able to come to church, hear a sermon like this, pray a prayer, feel good about everything, and just walk out the door with our character buckets filled. But that's not how God does it. In his design for your life, and you need to hear this, okay? Because if that's you, it's a, there's no shame in that. I mean, that's just, that's, I, I tend to be that way too. But it's important for your spiritual growth and your development that you understand that that is not how the things of God work. And so many people walk away disappointed and and the reason is because their expectations were wrong. They wanted God to just wave his little magic cosmic God wand and just give them character. But what God's word teaches us is that God develops character in us as we go through things, as we endure sufferings, and that endurance produces character. But then look, character is not the end unto itself either because it says that character produces hope. Character produces hope in us. As, as our character is developed, as our character is refined, as God is working away on us, chipping away, making us into the masterpiece that, that, that he's creating us to be, it's producing in us a hope. And that hope is anchored to his truth. That hope is anchored to our faith. That hope is anchored to the assurance that we have that God will sustain us. That if I can go through this, that God will continue to work. That God, who, the God, same God who saved me is the same God who is working to, to make me holy. The same God who, who called me out of my sin and who gave me 
resurrection, new life through faith in Jesus, that same God is working through my hardship and my difficulties to refine my character. And as my character is being refined, it fixes my hope on the right things. As my character is being refined, I learn to want the right things. I learn to seek after the right things. I learn what's temporary and what's eternal. I learn what matters versus what doesn't. I learn what's of ultimate worth as opposed to what is fleeting and passing. And sometimes it takes, it takes that great refining fire of some trial to produce that in us. But if that's what it takes, then praise God. Praise God for the trials. Not that we want trials, but how can we rejoice in our sufferings? We rejoice in sufferings knowing that sufferings will produce something sanctifying. And that means to be made holy. It will produce something sanctifying in us as our character is refined, that we may hope in Jesus. And then this important truth. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. In other words, hope does not disappoint us. This hope that is being produced in us through our sufferings, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The hope that is being produced in us will not put us to shame. It will not disappoint us. How do we know that to be true? It's because the source of that hope is Jesus. And he goes on to describe Jesus, the source of our hope, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So God, the Father, has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And how is it that we receive the Holy Spirit? By faith in Jesus, which he goes on to describe that process. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You understand that when, when Paul writes that Christ died for the ungodly, he's not talking about your, he's not talking about your enemies there. He's not talking about your neighbors. He's not talking about the coworkers that get on your nerves. He's not talking about those family members who are just a lot to deal with. He's not talking about the people who have wronged you or hurt you, who have, who have left you in the wake of their brokenness. When you read this and you read that Christ died for the ungodly, you need to make sure that you that what you see in the, in the mirror, if, as it were, of, of God's word, when you read that word ungodly, you need to see yourself. That Christ died for you when you were ungodly. And now the same Jesus who gave himself for you because he loved you, because it was his desire to, to ransom you, to pay the price for you, to win you back from your sin, to save you from your sin, that same God who has loved you this way, now he's going to work in your life. If he loved you enough to save you from your sin, you can believe that he's going to continue to work on you every step of the way to glory. And that's the process that's being described here. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, he says, though perhaps for a good person one would dare die. But here's the caveat. Are there any good people? Maybe someone would die for a good person, but are there any good people? Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we saw that there is no one who is good. No one. None. We've all missed that. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this Jesus who loves us died for us while we were sinners, while we were in rebellion against him, while we were deserving of his wrath because we had sinned against him. He died for us. And now He's given his life to save us. 
So, and this is verse 10. This is where we begin to put these pieces together. Verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And and let's be clear. When he says while we were enemies, he means enemies of God. You were an enemy of God because of your sin. You had sinned against, you had rebelled. You had had defied God. The, the, the almighty nature of, of the most holy creator God in your sin, and yet even in that, Christ loved you and he gave himself for you. And if he gave himself for us while we were his enemies, he's saying, so much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So if Jesus loved you enough to give his life for you while you were his enemy, don't you think he's going to love you enough to sustain you now that you're his child? That's the point that Paul's making. So we can go through some hardship. We can go through some difficulty knowing that our, our Savior will sustain us in the midst of our hardship. If he loved us enough to save us from our sin, he loves us enough to sustain us in our wonderings and our, and our failures. He's going he's gonna to be with us as we grow in them. And so we rejoice. This is, this is, it leads to this in verse 11. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ now that we have received reconciliation. We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice in God. We rejoice through our Lord Jesus Christ because not only did he love us enough to save us from our sin, but he loves us enough to sustain us in the midst of our difficulties as well. And so we can go through sufferings, knowing that suffering is going to produce endurance, and endurance is going to produce character. Character is going to produce hope, and hope will not put us to shame because God loves us. Now, Romans 5.8 is one of the key building blocks of the Romans road. And, and uh, maybe I should say it's one of the key paving stones of the Romans road. That'd be a better way to combine those metaphors, wouldn't it? That, that Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love. Notice that what, what he says here demonstrates is the version I memorized it in. Shows is the way that the ESV translates that word. God shows his love, demonstrates his love. Notice that it's, it's first, or rather that it's third person, but it's active voice. He shows his love. It's not just that he showed it in the past, though he did, but he shows it. It's, it's, it's continuing. It's, it's happening now. We see it even now. Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, he gave himself for us. He sacrificed himself, even as David mentioned in his his prayer, that he is the sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for us while we were sinners. And you better believe that the same God who loved us, who saved us, has the power to sustain us even in our brokenness. Some years ago, a music group that I'm a fan of uh, put out an album and the name of this album was Kintsugi. I had never heard the term Kintsugi before. I didn't know anything about what it was. And so uh, I looked it up. When, when that album came out and they, you know, and they sang about, uh, they had an album, a song rather, that was titled like that on the, on the album. And so I looked at what is Kintsugi. And I learned this really cool metaphor of, of, of what it is. Now, it's not just a metaphor. It's actually a real thing. But it's a really beautiful metaphor that I, I want to close with just kind of using that as a, as a way to illustrate this picture for us this morning. So in, in ancient Japanese culture, kintsugi was a form of art that developed as they would, as a, a master craftsman would take a piece of pottery, he would take a piece of pottery that he had created, and when he was finished with that, that wonderful piece of creation, he would smash it. And then 
he would take the pieces of that pottery and he would put it back together and in with the, uh, the, the lead and, and whatever other materials they would use, they would mix gold. They would mix gold or other precious metals so that there was this, this piece of, of uh, art that was put together and you could see the cracks but all of those cracks were filled in with gold. Something valuable flowed through all of the cracks and all of the broken pieces of this. And, and when it, what you have when it's finished is this one of a kind, much like we think of like a, a, a snowflake, you know, that every snowflake is unique, every snowflake is, right? What you have is this one of a kind piece of work that has been smashed and lovingly and painstakingly restored and put back together so that it becomes something beautiful that's made out of something broken. It's a Japanese form of art called kintsugi. You can look it up. And I think that's a, that's a really neat metaphor for understanding what God is doing in our lives. That do we want to go through hardship and difficulty? No, we don't. I don't. I, I, I admitted that to you. I don't think you probably do either. But when we understand the truth of the one who saved us, that he will sustain us. And we believe in the power of, of the resurrection that, that gives life to us. We understand that even through our sufferings, that God is working to put together the broken pieces of our life. And, and where we see the, the, the cracks and where we see the pieces that are jagged and, and that, are, that are broken and the sharp edges... He's working to, not to put gold, but through his blood, something more precious even than gold, right? The blood of Jesus. He's, he's, he's putting us back together and, and holding us together. And, and the finished product, someday in glory, will be something that is beautiful and unique and one of a kind. This masterpiece, this work of art that God has done, that he has put together in making something beautiful out of something broken. And that's what Paul's promising here. That if we will rejoice, that we rather we should rejoice in our sufferings because of the understanding that God is doing something in my life. He's making something beautiful out of something broken. And we've spent Romans chapters 1 through 4 pointing to our brokenness, but now we get to see the beauty of the one who is working in our lives. Yes, we are broken, but it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that we think, well, I'm broken. I, the God who loved us, who gave himself for us, looks at the brokenness, the broken pieces, and he says, I want that. I want your broken pieces. I want the mess of your life because I'm going to put it together and I'm going to make something beautiful out of that. The same God who loved us when we were his enemies has the power now to sustain us as we live in him. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Don't you see? God is doing something beautiful in your life. If you would just trust him, if you would, if you would follow him, if you would lean into the hardship and the difficulty and allow it to produce endurance, and that endurance to build character, and the character produce hope, because you will not be put to shame you will not be disappointed with what God is doing ultimately. That doesn't mean you'll always get your way. It doesn't mean that around every corner, everything is going to go exactly like what you want. But in the end, God is producing something beautiful that, frankly, would be better than anything you could ask for or hope for anyway. And what's more is it will be something that he has done, he has brought, he has produced in you. 
That's beautiful. A beautiful masterpiece, a beautiful work of art. And so today as we think on this, in a moment we're going to move into a time of response. And in our response today, this, this would be my encouragement to you. I would encourage you that in our invitation, in our, in our response today, that you would reach that, 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 that moment of, of, of surrender, that, that moment of release where you say, Lord, I'm going to stop trying to control all the things that I can't control. God, I'm going to stop trying to control my life and, and dictate the outcomes. I'm going to stop trying to tell you how you should do things in my life and stop trying to play God for you. And instead, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to lean into you. And I'm not going to run from my sufferings. I'm going to trust that even in my sufferings, you're going to work to produce character and that character is going to lead to hope and that, that ultimately I'm not going to be put to shame as, as I trust in you. But you know, the first step of that is to surrender your life to Jesus, is to take that first step of faith. Maybe this morning you have understood clearly for the first time that Jesus loved you so much that while you were a sinner, while you had turned your back on him, he gave his life for you. He suffered and died on the cross, and today you're ready to surrender your life to him. If that's you, then when we're singing the song of invitation, I'll be standing here at the front. Brad will be here at the front. We would love nothing more than to pray with you and lead you through a prayer of commitment. That You could say, Lord Jesus, today I want to surrender my life to you. I want to receive you by faith, as it's pointed to in verses 1 and 2. I want to receive you by faith I want to surrender all that I have to you so that I can live in the life that you supply. And if you do, if you do that, you surrender your life to Jesus today, the moment you surrender your life to him, his Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. Just as we saw in verse 5, he's poured out his Holy Spirit on us, right? His Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. And now, through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can, you can grow, you can, you can endure, you can have character and hope so that you might be sustained through your sufferings by the power of Jesus. What a beautiful and wonderful thing that is. And so even as we're singing, if God's moving in your heart that way, I, I encourage you that you would come. Our altar will be open if you want to use this as a place of prayer, a place where you just surrendered to the Lord this morning. Maybe a place where you say, God, I, 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 want, to, I want to stop trying to do things on my own, in my own power, in my own strength, my own way, and I want to be surrendered to you then would you respond in obedience to him this morning, following his leadership as we sing? I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. And the, the, the purpose of my prayer is to ask even now that God would speak to us, that he would move in our hearts, that he would guide us to respond to his truth this morning as we seek to live for him. Lord, move in us. Move in our hearts and our spirits guide us to know your truth. Lord, help us to trust you in the midst of suffering so that we wouldn't miss what it is that you're, that you're doing, the work that you're, that you're performing, the, the, the masterpiece that you're creating in us as we develop endurance. Lead us now to trust you fully that we may live in the life that you give us, Jesus. All this we pray in your name.